So Rabbi Isai, Sammy's Rebbe began, I want to share with you an incredible, incredible story. You know, some people, when it comes to Hanukkah, they think of the Menorah, alright, it's another mitzvah to do. But I want to tell you that the Menorah mitzvah has a power to create Yeshua's, to save people. It has the power to bring salvation. It has the power to bring healing. As a matter of fact, it's brought down in Sfarim that when you light the Menorah and the Lichtigelicht are Lichtiging, I mean they're flapping and whatever else, is an Indian to be mispalo to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for things. For Aliyah and Ruchnias, for success in Limeratera, that you should remember your learning. And for Rafur Shalema, for Chasasham, somebody who might be sick. And for Shaduchim, the burning handles are a time to daven. Yes, Sammy? It's also a time to daven that Hashem doesn't make your house burn down. That's true. That's true. Especially if your window shades are right above your candles, because then your house might burn down, Taka. That's true. And that's why we're makbid in our house to put out the fire right after half hour. Okay? Some people are mocked with that. Some people, Bedaf, could put out the flames right after 30 minutes so that it's safer or they can save their candles. And that's also why, yes, we don't light outside. What's that going to do with lighting outside? Because if you light outside, then the candles might burn down the whole world. How could the candles burn down the world? Because if you light outside, there might be a tree. And if there's a tree, the tree can catch on fire. And you know in California, there are a lot of forest fires. You know how many buildings burned and Chasashel and Loyaleno people died? That's because they were letting Minaris outside. The fire started in the spring, Sammy. I know, because the people were setting up the Minaris because they loved Minaris so much. You know, I set up my Minaris already last Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, you set up your Minaris? Oh, no, no, it was Motsay Yom Kippur. Yeah, I set up my Minaris. Didn't we learn in class that right after Yom Kippur, you're supposed to start doing mitzvahs right away? Yeah. So I set up my Minaris. I think I told you that you're supposed to set up your sukkah right away. I did. I put some schach on the sukkah. I set up my menaira. I baked some matzah. Wow. Your mom should tell But let's go on with the story. I want to tell you the school of the menaira and this incredible, incredible mice. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Russia. Yes, you can see uh, I've heard of um, Esav. Esav's the Russia. That's true. Very good. Very good. I meant the country Russia. Have you ever heard of the country Russia? Yes, you can see Sodom. Uh, uh, Rebbe said, remember we learned the Parsha, Anshi Sodom, Roi, Vechatoim, Lashem, Oh, they're, they're big Rishoim. That's true. I, I meant a different country, Russia. I meant Russia like USSR. USSR is the old-fashioned Russia where they had something called communism. Anybody know what communism is? No. None of you know what communism is. You're all raising your hand, but you don't know what communism is. Communism doesn't really exist. They called it communism, but it was really socialism. You know what socialism is? Yes, Avramel? Well, Rabbi, we all heard about social distancing, so probably socialism is the opposite of social distancing. Like, when, instead of saying six feet apart, you, you kind of sit in each other's laps or something. Uh, I don't think that's exactly what socialism is. But the bottom line is, communist Russia was a place where they tried to get rid of all Yiddishkeit and all religions. They didn't want people to believe in Torah, Mitzvah, Hashem. Even Gaish religions they didn't want. They wanted everyone to... Uh, it was a terrible place. Now, the Russians, the communist Russia, USSR, they didn't just, they weren't just happy being like, like in their own country. They wanted to take over the world. They wanted the entire world to practice communism. Yes, you could seal. I don't understand, Rabbi. Why they have to practice? Didn't they know how to do it? Uh, it's an expression. I mean, I mean, you ever heard of, yes, Sammy? 
Actually, Rebbe, I was wondering that. My, my, my doctor's office, it has a big sign on it, the practice of Dr. Schmidt. I, I'm just wondering. I mean, if, if my doctor's still practicing, does it make sense to go to him? I mean, I don't want to go to a doctor who's practicing. I want to go to a doctor who knows what he's doing. <sighs> Sammy, you can see all... <laughs> Whatever. The, the communist Russia wanted everyone to be communists like them. They, they felt that they had something good to offer, and they, they... That's not really why. They wanted to, like... The bottom line is, they were going around the world and trying to take over the world and make everyone in the world communists. As a matter of fact, there was something called the Cold War. Does anybody know what the Cold War is? Yes, Avramo? It's when, in my house, my brother in my room turns the air conditioner all the way down to 50 degrees, and I go and I turn the air conditioner up to 75 degrees, because I'm freezing. And my brother says, it's the most geschmack to sleep when it's cold. And I say, but that's too cold. That's the Cold War? You know what? I'm going to leave this for your social studies class, all right? Maybe I'm the lame, you'll learn all about social studies, and somebody will teach you something about it. I don't know if it's I, I, I can't. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how teachers do it. Okay, so just, I, 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 bottom line is, there was a country called Hungary. Yes, Uxiel? So can we have a snack? No, no. I, I didn't ask who's hungry. <sighs> yes, Nisano? Actually, Rabbi, I once heard that there's a city called Frankfurter. Is that true? If if you have if if you, if you have a, a, a residency in Frankfurter and then you go to Hungary, could you take your Frankfurter to Hungary and eat it there? Uh, yes, Eliezer. And, and Rebbe, I heard there's a place called Hamburg. Can you eat a hamburger if you're from Frankfurter in Hungary? You sound like you're trying to make a Rebbe Kunda tape or something. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe uh, okay. Frankfurters weren't invented yet. Hungarys weren't invented. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean. Hamburgers weren't invented yet. Let's stick to the story here, right? The bottom line is, it was communist Russia. They were taking over countries, and there was a Yid living in Hungary. Rabbi, yes, maybe I should give him some tzedakah. Sammy, it's a story that took place about 1952. It's way later than that. I don't think he's hungry anymore. Oy vey. What's the matter, Sammy? You see what happens if you don't give tzedakah, Rabbi? He died from hunger. All right, you know what? Rabbi Sai, here's the story. Forget all the play. Here's the story. There was a Yid. He was living in a country. Whatever the country's name was. And all of a sudden, one day, he woke up in the morning. Baruch Hashem! He woke up in the morning. Like, by asking from Rabbi he woke up in the morning. And he looked out to his window, and he saw Russian soldiers. And the Russian soldiers taking over Hungary. Now, this Yid knew that if you lived in communist Russia, or you lived in a state or a country under communist Russia ruling, like the state and city and country of Hungary, then... Uh, that was not permission, Yosef for you to eat. Okay? Anyway. Boom! So this fellow, this fellow, he decided that he's going to have to leave the country. Why? Because everyone knew that in Russia, in communist Russia, everyone knew in communist Russia, it's a terrible thing for you, and they don't let you practice mitzvahs. If you practice terror mitzvahs, a lot of times you got arrested and thrown in jail without any sort of hope for getting out. People weren't seen again. People were sent to Siberia and they died in Siberia. It was a terrible life. And he knew he had to leave. And this fellow decided, we'll call this fellow Nasan. Nasan decided that he had to get out of the country. The only way to get out of the country was to run across the border. They weren't giving passes to leave the country, Russia. USSR was not giving passes, excuses to leave. He had to cross the border and go to a place that was no longer under communist control. And the only way to do that, to cross the border with him and his family was to hire and pay smugglers to take him out of the country.
It was not cheap. It was super expensive. You know, when I grew up, I knew, I still know, a bunch of Yidin from Iran, Persians. And they described their experience leaving Iran to be able to get out of the country when they weren't really allowed. As a matter of fact, one of my friends, one of the Yidin I knew when I was in Yeshiva, he was a champion ping pong player. And you're saying, what's a champion ping pong player? <laughs> Table tennis is a big sport. And in Russia, and I'm sorry, in Iran, it was a big sport. And he was a champion ping pong player. And he was in the finals in the tournament for his age bracket when he was a teenager. And the night before the tournament, he got the okay. His parents got the okay that he's going to be able to be smuggled out of the country. And his parents gave a lot of money to this person. And this person smuggled him through the mountains, over the mountains. They were dead, no water. They had to drink the water from the radiator of the car. Crazy story. In the freezing cold, they had to go in the hot height of the, through the deserts and the mountains and all whatever's over there. And get it's incredible things to get smuggled. But in this case, smuggled over the border was very dangerous. A soldier sees you crossing the border, boom, you're dead. And it wasn't just simply you were at the edge of the border and you walked over the border. You had to get through the woods to get through the border, to get over the border, to get to the woods, and then the other side would shoot you. It was a crazy story. And you had to pay a lot of money. But you know what? To keep terror myths, to live life as a yid, it's worth it. And therefore this guy gave, went to his house and he sold, this guy went to his house and he sold all these different things that he had in his house to make, to get the money so he can pay the smugglers. And finally, the smugglers came and told him, you're going. You're going to be safe. We're going to smuggle you over the border on the fourth night of Hanukkah. The fourth night of Hanukkah, you're going to be smuggled over the border. Yes, Sammy. Rabbi, why didn't they smuggle him over on the fifth night? Why the fourth night? What's is a school on the fourth night to be smuggled over borders? Like, should I stand at the edge of Canada or maybe the edge of Mexico and... No, it's not a skula. It happened to be that's the way it worked in the story. And this is what happened. They were crossing the border. They were sneaking through the woods. They were being so quiet. They were not making any noise. They were going through the borders. They were smuggling, crawling on their hands and knees at certain points, diving under branches. When patrols came around, they were climbing trees to avoid patrols. And one time they even had to swim in a river to get, to get around the patrol. I mean, everything you could imagine they were doing to avoid getting caught by the soldiers. And finally, they stopped for a little bit of a rest. And this Yid Nassim kept thinking the entire trip, what's going to be with Minera? How am I going to light my Minera? And when they stopped to rest, he went over to the chief smuggler, the guy who was leading him out, the main person in charge, and he said, listen, tonight's the fourth night of Hanukkah. I really want to light Minera. Do you think maybe I could light a little tiny, teeny, tiny Minera right over here under this branch, under this, under this log, where nobody will see anyway? And the smuggler looked at him and said, Tipish, you fool! However you say that in Russian, I don't know. What are you thinking? One little light could bring the entire soldiers and armies of both sides against us, the Russians, the Polish, the Hungarians, whoever it is, everyone against us. No way, Meshuggah. So, of course, Nassim had no choice. He didn't do it. And they continued on. And eventually, and they're continuing on, they eventually came to a burnt-out, abandoned hut. And the smuggler said, In this hut we will stay for a few hours, until the moon sets, and then we will be able to actually cross over the border with nobody seeing us. And as they were sitting in this hut, Nassan's desire to light the Munera took hold of him. Now, I'm not telling you if Nassan was right, or Nassim was wrong. 
But in his desire to light the menorah, he went to the corner that was surrounded on two sides by walls, and then he put his body in front, and he took out of his backpack four little lichtelach, four little candles, and a pack of matches, and he made the brachas quietly, so that nobody else would hear. Asher and he lit the mirror. And there in that corner was the flickering of the four flames casting shadows, but shadows that were so small it was almost impossible to see. And people watched and people saw the other people in his group that were there. It wasn't just him and his family. It was a lot of different people with this smuggling group. But nobody said anything because everyone was scared and nobody was sure what the right thing was. Well, yes, Sammy. I know what the right thing is. Yeah, what's the right thing? The right thing is not to do it. It's pikoch nefesh. And you're not allowed to be mice nefesh for Meneira. Yes, Avramo. But this is different because the whole point of Meneira is the Yidu or Meiser Nefesh for Meneira. Because Meneira is about Hanukkah, and Hanukkah is all about Mesiris Nefesh for the sake of Hashem. So this is exactly what... You know what, Rabbi Say? I hear both your sides. And I, I, I'm glad I wasn't there, because I don't know what the right... I don't know what the right thing is. But this is what he did. He lit the Meneira. And then suddenly they heard the scraping of soldier boots, and the door to the hut, which was almost off its hinges, but was still attached a little bit, got yanked off its hinges by this big soldier who said in Russian, Everyone stand up! And put your hands up and go against that wall! And everyone did, frightened out of their wits. Yes, Sammy, Rabbi, I know there's a yeshiva in Wisconsin. It's called Wits. My uncle is a rabbi there. His name is Uncle Michal. Um, but uh, what, what does it mean to be frightened out of wits? If, if you're not in the yeshiva, then, then, then how do you get frightened out of it? And do they throw kids out by scaring them? And that's how they get kids who are not behaving out of the yeshiva. Just, just let me continue. Frightened out of their wits. They were standing up, their hands. Now these people, these people now looked at this man, this man who had lit the candles, and they were sure that it was his fault that the soldier saw them, that the soldier saw this hut, and the soldier came in. They were ready to rip Nasan apart limb by limb. They were so angry at him, but they couldn't because their hands were frozen in the air because, because, because the soldier was holding a gun. And the soldier clearly, from his demeanor, from his tone, and from his appearance, was planning to make them into very holy Yidden with the lead that was in the bullets of his gun. They were so scared they weren't crying, but many of them began to whisper under their breaths, but without the enthusiasm, Shema Yisrael, with tears streaming down their eyes. And the soldier looked around the room with that mean face that you imagine soldiers have when they're mean. And his eyes took in the four lichterlich, the four candles of Manera flickering in the corner. And the people watched in amazement as the soldier's gun, which was in a position aiming directly at their heart level, started to lower. And he put his gun's muzzle 
to the floor, and he said to everyone in the room, You may lower your hands. Everyone was shocked. Everyone couldn't believe it. He reached into his jacket pocket, and everyone froze. Maybe he was pulling out a handgun to shoot them. But what do you think Russian soldiers pull out of their jacket pocket? A bottle of whiskey. A bottle of vodka. That's exactly right. And he said, I also have schnapps, Glazelach. Let's make a lechayim. And he passed around the bottle. And everyone took a sip and got warmed up. And the man said, I want you to know that this hut is surrounded by soldiers. They are waiting for me to shoot all of you. You see, we have been following you since you entered the woods. And we were waiting for the opportunity to get all of you together without having to chase you through the woods. Had we tried to kill you in the woods, you would have run away and we would have gotten some and not everyone. And when you entered this hut, we knew we can come in shoot you all, and be done. And that was the job that I had. And that was my plan. And much to your surprise, you won't even believe me, but these four candles, these four neighbors, saved your life. You see, Ani Yehudi, I'm a Yid. I'm a Yid who's been in the army for the past 25 years. For 25 years, I have been a communist. I didn't just become an army man because I had to. I became an army man because I believed in communist philosophy and the importance of Mother Russia. I see your hand, Sammy. Mother Russia is a language to use to describe how people treat the land of Russia and the country. And for 25 years, I have had no mitzvah or even minera or anything. However, I saw the lichtelach and in my head, my mind, my memory flashed back to many, many years ago when I was a kid. And I remember my father lighting the minera. I remember my father singing Haneris Halolu and I remember that I'm not just simply a communist. I'm not just simply a servant of Mother Russia. But I remember now, he said, with a tear dripping down his cheek, that I am a Yehudi, that I'm a Yid. I'm not going to kill you. The soldiers ended. I'm going to let you go. All the people in the group were astonished and stunned. And now, instead of looking at Nussin with murderous eyes, as he was the one who got them caught, they looked at Nussin with favor. They thanked Nussin. They gave him brachas because he saved their lives. This Yehudi lighting the Menorah enabled them to live and to cross the border to be able to continue to serve Hashem. This is the skula of Menera. Menera is a source of Kedusha. Menera is a source of Shmira. Again, I'm not saying necessarily that this man made the right choice in the sense of halachic decisions. I don't know. We do see the end result that 
his manure saved their lives. Yes, Sammy? So, Rebbe, does that mean that Mr. Shem, anybody who has any situation that they're in that's dangerous, they should lay them in there? I think it only works on, on, on Hanukkah, right? I think on Hanukkah it is the time it works. Okay, so Rebbe, but, but on Hanukkah, it makes sense, right? If you're in a situation that's a little dangerous, you should lay them in there? I, I guess, I guess it might help. I, I, I guess. Okay, so Mr. Shem, Mr. Shem, I, I look forward. What do you mean? Well, you see, I'm 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 going with Rebbe home from school today, yeah. And I heard a rumor. I'm not saying about Shatara, I Just I just heard that sometimes Rebbe drives a little bit fast. Sometimes. And I heard that the last time Rebbe was on the highway, Rebbe was in a big rush and he was driving at 100 miles an hour or something like that. <laughs> All right, whatever. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying either way. I'm, I'm, I'm saying. So, so I was wondering. I, I'm getting a ride home with Rebbe, so I just wanted to make sure I have him in in my backpack. So I'll, I'll light my Minera in the car while we're driving. So I'll be safe in Mitzvah Hashem. Sammy, I, I don't like that idea. Why not, Rebbe? Well, because since I drive a Lamborghini, I'm afraid you're going to spill on my leather seats, and oil on my leather seats will not be so geschmack. It'll be hard to clean up. Avram will chirped up. Rebbe drives a Lamborghini? Of course. The yeshiva pays me a lot of money to be to be the malamid here. I get a lot of money. A Lamborghini is, Lamborghini is, uh, you know, is, 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 is what you need. Rebbe has to drive a chosh of a car. Rebbe is driving a clunker. A yeshiva is a car. <laughs> at least, at least a Lamborghini, at least. Uh, you know, I, I, some, 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 yeah, some, some people might drive fancier cars. You know, I, I know there's another Rebbe, uh, on a Rolls Royce, but, but I like American cars, so I'm gonna drive a Lamborghini. Alright? Alright? Yeah, yeah, yes, you can see Rebbe? What's a, what's a Lamborghini? <laughs> Good question. Ah, such a tummim to kid. All right, Mr. Shem, maybe I'll give you a ride in it tomorrow. All right, but anyway, everybody say, that's the story.